Praise God. Can we take our seats together? Let's give him praise and worship. Well, welcome everybody to church. It's great to be together and to a brand new series, week number one of a series that we've simply entitled Rest of the Week. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever heard this as a, uh, a probably a more cynical complaint? Uh, all those Christians, I know those Christians, I've seen those Christians, they act one way on Sunday and they act another way the rest of the week. You ever heard that before? Uh, that uh, sense of accusation. And there's probably something to that. There's probably something there that we need to own uh, and we need to recognize. Uh, we can't behave one way on a Sunday with a shirt and tie and a smile and a big Bible. And then on a Monday, we act like something very, very different. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever made an effort um, in a very, very direct, kind of proactive, intentional way to say, man, I really want to represent the gospel. And so you might find yourself in a situation where you're like, uh, someone's in need. I, I'm going to take them grocery shopping. I'm going to buy them groceries. I'm going to go to their home. I'm handy. I could maybe fix something for them. I, I want to do something. I know of one church in particular, and they are so sold out on this idea of the rest of the week that every single Christ follower would find it to be such a normal thing to be investing into the lives of other people that they have a small room in their church building where they just have a ton of product. And anyone who's a follower of Christ can go into that room and take the product for free. So at winter, they have like hand warmers to keep your hands warm. In the summer, they give out like crates of bottles and people just go and take as many bottles of water as you want. And then in particular, they love chocolate. Um, I love chocolate. Chocolate's from the Lord, right? Anyone doesn't love chocolate here? You should go to another church or something, I think. <laughs> But I mean like boxes of like chocolate bars. So they'll have like a box of like 30 or 50 like Mars bars or Snickers bars. You can just go and take the whole thing and you're not stealing. And people are expected to do that. And then what they do is they'll go to, a, go to the bus stop or something like that and they'll say, would you like a chocolate bar? And they've got probably a little card that they've got some very, very well crafted words on there just to say, hey, this is just to say that God loves you in a very simple way, very non-aggressive way. I think it's a huge question. How in 2018 are people like us, followers of Christ, supposed to represent the gospel without shouting at people or bashing people with a Bible or standing up on a soapbox or wagging our fingers at people and telling them, you're not supposed to do that and you're not supposed to do that. How can you actually do that in a loving way, in a way that actually connects with other people? Because I'm absolutely convinced that I am supposed to do that on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And it's got to be more than coming together on a Sunday right here. So let me draw a little picture for you before. I actually drew this picture about five or six weeks ago when I was preaching, and so I'm just going to draw it again. So if you, it might be a reminder or, or a refresher. This little image right here is, I think, an attempt of the church to say, if we could ask you to be engaged in something, this is what we would like, like you to be engaged in. So the first one is... Gather together. And we have a little picture for that. I'll try my best. That is supposed to be like a pin drop, uh, like a GPS thing on, on a map. Everyone here gets a gold star because that's what we're doing right here, right now. So, well done. Um, it is simply the reality that you would say, I'm committed to uh, being here uh, with the family of God and opening myself up to the preaching of God's word and worshiping corporately together and getting to know brothers and sisters in the family of God. I I'm all about that. If we could ask you to do one more thing, we would ask you to do this. And that is grow in a group. And here's a little picture. 
We created these pictures so that it would just be memorable for everybody. Yeah, they are. It's pretty bad, isn't it? Yeah. There we go. That's better. Okay. And so we have, a, we have about just shy on 50 different community groups that meet in people's homes all throughout Mount Pleasant and beyond. And then we have a freedom group. We have Alpha group. We're going to relaunch Alpha in January. We have other groups going on. And so we could ask you to do one other thing besides what you're doing right now. Come and grow in a group and get to know some people and uh, know each other and praise God together and pray together. And it's just a great way to, uh, to move forward in ministry. The last one is where we're focused today. And that is simply this. Go, live, it out. And the image that we have for that is a traffic light. Green means go. It wasn't a hard question. This series that we're in right now, that we're launching today, for the next six weeks as we run up into Christmas, is all about this. That's what we're leaning into for the next six weeks. That on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we are called to represent the gospel and everything that is wonderful about the faith and the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, I would simply state it like this. I've said it before and I will say it again. I don't go to church. I do not go to church. I am the church. We do not go to church. We don't do that. That old idea like, oh, I just go to church on a Sunday is probably somewhat wrong. We are the church all in, all the time, wherever we are, we are representing the person of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a fancy word for this in theology, and that word is simply incarnation. Incarnation uh, literally means to take on flesh. And so as we move in towards Christmas, and we begin to preach the Christmas story, which we will in a few weeks, you'll see us talking about Jesus Christ incarnation, when Jesus literally came from heaven to earth, and he took on flesh. Now, what on earth does that mean for you and I as the church? We don't go to church. We are the church. How do we do what Jesus did? How do we do, how does the church do incarnation? Well, I would say it's the difference between this. Look at that person in need and going up to the person in need, putting your arm around them, getting to know their name, and handing them $10. One of those two scenarios has skin in the game. It's pretty obvious which one. I would say that it is the difference between writing a thesis on sex trafficking and grabbing a 15-year-old girl who's caught up in that world and helping her escape that world and bringing her to a place of safety. One of those two scenarios actually has skin in the game. The other is just ideas. They might be wonderful ideas, but one of those is actually means something in real life. For God, when it comes to incarnation, he loves it. He's all in on the idea of incarnation. And he says the same to us. We must have skin in the game. He never for a moment says, I'm just going to, into eternity, look down upon the problems of this world and hope that they can figure it out for themselves. Maybe I could discuss the idea. No. He says, I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ. He's going to incarnate. He's going to take on flesh. And so God is all in for physically touching someone with leprosy. God is all in for saying, I want to have dinner with sinners. That's who I want to spend my time with. God was all in for sleeping under the stars and being tired and cold and hungry, for experiencing pain and betrayal, for knowing poverty, for experiencing denial and execution and death. That's skin in the game, isn't it? And the church, we have to incarnate. We must have skin in the game. It's got to be more than I go to a building on a Sunday and have a nice time. 
Otherwise, if we don't, we are nothing more than a country club. Otherwise, what begins to happen is we begin to look inward and then we die. Otherwise, we become irrelevant and self-important. There must, it's critical that there is an expression of the church beyond what happens in a building on a Sunday morning. We must have street credibility. It should be a normal thing for you and me, normal, ordinary followers of Christ, to express and represent the gospel of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we're a group of people who sing songs. John chapter 13, let me read for you a few verses here. Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart our world. So Jesus is going to the cross. We're coming to the Last Supper. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, look at this. When the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So please note this. There is demonic activity happening already. Um, where was I? Came from God, going back to God. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And he poured a basin of water and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter said to him, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was about to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. When he'd washed their feet and put on his outer garments, he resumed to his place and said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Tremendous passage of scripture. This story does, shows up actually in multiple gospels. Some of the other writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, give this story that we've just read actually a fuller context. The context that they provide, that actually we didn't read about right here, is that prior to everything we just read, you'll never believe what the disciples are having a conversation about. They're moving towards the cross. They're coming to the Last Supper. We see there is demonic activity about taking place. A betrayal is about to happen. He's warned them he's going to his death, his execution. This is emotional stuff. And the disciples, of all the conversations that they could be having, at that moment, this is what they're talking about. Who of us is the greatest? Do you think I'm the greatest? I, I think I'm greater than you. I think he's greater than you. That's the conversation they're having. They're literally talking about, hey, do you think I'll get to sit at the right or the left-hand side of God? Or do you think you'll get to do that? This is the conversation, unbelievably insensitive and inappropriate. This is what they think the kingdom of God is like. They think it's about people grasping for things. They think the kingdom of God is about power and position and title and accolades and who sees me and am I recognized. That's what they think the kingdom of God is about. And Jesus is about to do something that is going to annihilate and shred that understanding of the kingdom of God. It's almost like the disciples are trying to impose that upon Jesus and Jesus is not having it at all. That's not what the kingdom of God is about whatsoever. The scripture actually says that he shows them his love. It says he's about to show them the full extent of his love. 
They think they know what the kingdom of God is about. Glory. Glory for me. The kingdom of God is about me being elevated. Glory, 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 glory. And Jesus is about to pull that thinking down and to show them what the glory of God is really like. They're thinking position, title, and power. And he takes off his outer garments and he gets down on his knees. This is the picture of the glory of God. The glory of God looks entirely different to what you and I think it looks like, and certainly the disciples. Now, when I looked at the scripture and I read through these verses, I'm like, oh, I know what the scripture's about. The scripture's about serving, right? Jesus is his ultimate servant. This is all about servanthood. I'm going to preach a message about servanthood, and we'll all be just amazing servants, and that'll be the sermon for the day. But as I looked at it more, I think there's actually more going on in this than merely servanthood, which is a wonderful thing. I think this is really about a room full of people who are thinking primarily about themselves. It's a room full of people who are wrapped up in self-centeredness and title and power and my influence and my authority and who sees me and who's impressed by me and position and who notices me. It's about Jesus seeing that and saying, I'm going to come into that place and I'm going to invade that kind of thinking with my kingdom. The glory of God is coming in such a way that he wants to change all of that thinking and all of that practice. So when Jesus says, I want you to do what I'm doing, He's not just saying, I want you to be a servant. What he is literally saying is, I want you to be able to walk into a room of people who are filled with self-centeredness. Have you ever bumped into this person? Have you ever been this person? Have you ever walked into a room and everybody is all about me and how good I am and look at me and my resume and my skills and what I think I can do? Are you impressed by me? Jesus says, I am expecting you to be able to walk into a room of people who are entirely focused upon themselves and then because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and you are anointed, I want you to bring a kingdom understanding that shreds all of that, that changes all of that entirely. I want you to be able to serve in such a way that they, for the first time in their lives, actually see what the glory of God is like. And it's like this. It's when you take out your, off your outer garments and you get down on your knees and you wash their feet. And they go, why are you doing this for me? And they begin to see Jesus Christ. They begin to see this offer of forgiveness. Jesus is inviting you to change culture and to change lives and to change people just merely by your presence in a place, by you literally doing what the Father is asking you to do in any given moment and in any given circumstance. This is, go live it out. And it's not a church event. It's not a program. It's not a class. It's not a Bible study. It's not a potluck thing. It's not a meeting in this building. It is you on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, in all of the kinds of places that you live and breathe in, 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 in Meyer and the grocery store and at Doozy's when you get an ice cream. Oh, Doozy's is closed. I just remembered that. That's an awful thing. Um, it's the normal places of your life. It is the factory floor and it is the office and it is the schoolroom. It is all of the, And it's your home. Sometimes I think... The word evangelism is a dirty word. Sometimes evangelism is that thing I, I'm supposed to do that I don't do, that I ought to do, that I never do. And I put my head on the pillow and I go, oh, I didn't do that. And I feel bad about it. I'm so glad that God has taken me out of darkness. Are you? I'm so glad that God has saved me from my past mistakes and my sins and my shame and my guilt. But I need to know more than that. I need to know that he has not only saved me from my past, but that he has saved me for something. I 
that he didn't just speak over my past, but in this moment right here, God is speaking into your present and into your future. I need to know that he didn't just fix what was broken inside of Alan Cullen, but that he restored me for something that is yet to come. I need to know that my life matters for something more than just coming here on a Sunday morning. And I like coming here on a Sunday morning, but there's got to be more to it than that. That cannot be the full extent of Christianity and following the person called Jesus Christ. This is great, but there's got to be more. I'm daring to believe that God is going to use you and God is going to use me, ordinary followers of Jesus Christ, to actually see a city transformed. That you walk into an environment and because you're filled with the Spirit of God, something changes. In fact, I speak this over your life today. The days of laying your head on a pillow and thinking about evangelism and how you should but didn't and ought to have but failed at that, those days are over. That it becomes normal for Christ followers to share their faith. Barna is a Christian statistician. In North America, do you want to know what the number is, the average number of Christians? uh, Let's see if I can say this correctly. The average number of American Christians, what number of people will they lead to Christ over the course of their lifetime? Anyone want to throw out a number? Three? Anyone else? Zero. It's zero. We get this, we get this gift of grace, and the average Christian in the United States of America will tell nobody about that. We'll see nobody come to faith. Now, this isn't a guilt thing. This is, God, how can I serve you? How can I be, how can I walk into a room with people who are just self-centered around themselves, and somehow I bring the kingdom of God to bear. An ordinary Christian. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to listen to any more sermons. You can just do that. It becomes normal, normal experience for followers of Jesus Christ, leading someone from darkness into light. Everywhere we go, the kingdom of God to Mount Pleasant and beyond. This is the heart of God. I knew this sermon was coming up last Monday um, after church last week. We got, I got in early. Actually, I couldn't start my car uh, and I couldn't figure out what was wrong with it, couldn't get it started, lifted up the hood and I uh, jumped the car from my, my wife's minivan and got it going and it was really dark and I uh, got in here and we had a staff meeting. We got done about 11.30 and we actually watched one of the Alpha videos. If you haven't taken the Alpha uh, course, man, you got you to do that. We're going to relaunch it again in January. Absolutely brilliant. And we watched this one session. I was just so inspired by by it. We got done with the, uh, with the staff meeting, and I'm like, I'm hopping down to O'Reilly. Something's wrong with the car. I need to go and see if they could take a look at it. And I was praying on my way, and I knew I was going to be preaching on this, and I just watched this incredible session from the Alpha uh, group, and it was so good. I just said, God, sometime today, I want to talk to somebody about Jesus. I want to have a word for them. I want to have a conversation. I don't care how it goes. I want to do that. So I get into O'Reilly's at 11.30 on a Monday morning, and it is empty. And there's this fella, lovely guy, nice, nice guy behind the counter. So I was like, any chance you take a look at the battery and, and see how it's doing? And I opened up the, the bonnet of the car, and it was so dark in the garage that I couldn't see the battery. Uh, but now in the light of day, I was like, holy cow, it was messed up. It was like totally covered in acid and corrosion everywhere. And the, one of the contacts was so stuck, it took us an hour and 50 minutes because he's going to, they replaced the battery. They stuck it, you know, they put a new one in. It took us an hour and 15 minutes to replace the battery. And he's like, I usually do this in 10 minutes. I was like, an hour and 15 minutes. You're all mine, buddy. I got you, buddy. But he was the most chatty guy. He was full of questions. And I don't mind talking. I can talk all day long. And I asked him questions about himself. And he was asking me. So I got to find out all about this guy's life. And 10 minutes beforehand, I said, God, 
give me that kind of an appointment. I want, I want to do that. I want to pray for somebody. I want to have a word for somebody. And so this fellow tells me he grew up in Detroit. He moved to Georgia when he was 12. He went to a mega church and he said every week, it was money, money, money. Give us your money, give us your money, give us your money. I apologize to him on behalf of the church that he was on the receiving end of that kind of nonsense every week. Give us your money all the time. And then he said, look, I'm done with church. I'm done with religion. I'm not doing any of that stuff. He wanted to know about homosexuality. He asked me about transgenderism. We had a great conversation around pretty tough subject. We had, a, we had a great chat about those things. And then I was at the end of the time and he was like, battery was finally going in. We were freezing cold last Monday. Battery was almost in. And I'm like, okay, Lord, what do I do? Do I invite him to church? And I really felt like actually that wasn't the best next step. And I said, I said so have you, got, have you got, you know, is anyone in your life? And he's like, oh, I've got a girlfriend. And I said, Are you guys pretty serious? Yeah. He says, I better be. He says, oh yeah, she's pregnant. I said, okay, great. And, uh, and, and I just felt it was the Holy Spirit. I said, I said, what's your name? He told me his name. What's your girlfriend's name? Do you guys have a name for your little baby? He says, yep, he told me the baby's name. A guy who hates church, hates religion, doesn't believe in God. And I looked at him and I said, do you think it'd be okay if I prayed for you and your girlfriend and your little baby? I said, because I just think you're just going to have a great family. This guy just opens up. He's like, yeah. I would love it if you pray. He didn't believe in God. He hates religion. But he wants me to pray for him, to God, for him, for him and his wife, or for him and his girlfriend and his, and his little baby. And I drove away in the car. I'm like, thank you, God. And here's what I'm suggesting. That in the most normal places, not on a Sunday, although if you do it on a Sunday, that's fine, but on Monday through Saturday, that you find yourself with your antenna up going, God, where is my divine appointment? It's not weird. It's not freaky. It's not preachy. It's not Bible bashing. But somehow the God is bringing you to bring the kingdom of God to bear to people whose lives are completely like where the disciples are. Title, position, self-centeredness. What about me? Everyone look at me. And the kingdom of God comes to invade that. This story in the scripture is fairly awkward, I would have to say, because nobody washed their feet. Now, picture the sandals, picture no paved roads, picture dogs and animals and dust and all that kind of stuff going on. And so it was just customary, it was just, it was just precedent that if you went into someone's home, a servant would come and they would wash your feet. You think of sitting down at a table, their table did not look like this with a chair, their table was just a few inches off the ground, you would lie on your left, hand, your left side, your left hand was considered your dirty hand, so you didn't touch food with that, you would eat with your right hand, your legs would be kicked out to one side. So your feet are sticking in someone else's face basically. So you have to wash your feet. And no one had done it. Nobody had washed their feet. Nobody wants to do it. It's not a nice job. It's, and it denotes a sense of, uh, of servanthood and, and a sense of subservience. And Peter's thinking, I don't want to do it. I'm the oldest. I'm not doing it. John's like, I'm the youngest. I'm not doing it. Andrew's like, I did it last time. I'm not doing it. It was gross. Thomas is like, I doubt you did it last time. I really don't think you did that. <laughs> Bad Bible joke. There's another story in the New Testament where something somewhat similar happens. Jesus actually invited dinner at a Pharisee's house. Now, Jesus and Pharisees, they generally knocked heads a whole lot. Jesus didn't have much time for their religion and their legalism. But this Pharisee invites Jesus to his home and nobody washes his feet. Nobody washes the disciples' feet. And Jesus is sitting there with dirty feet. 
And it's an unbelievably dramatic story. Maybe you've heard it before. This woman comes in and she recognizes that, man, she doesn't have her act together, that she's got sin in her life. And she actually falls down on Jesus' feet and she's weeping. She's so, she has such a contrite heart. She's weeping. She's crying her eyes out. And there's no water. It's actually the tears that are falling down on his feet. And she's washing his feet with her tears. Really dramatic stuff. And then she gets her hair and she starts drying his feet with her hair. And the Pharisees see this and they're like, looking down their nose at this woman. Who does she think she is coming into my house, doing this to Jesus Christ? They've got no time for it. The disciples were there. They saw that. They witnessed this very thing happening. They saw all of that happening. And I, I can almost guarantee you they were indignant. Those Pharisees, they didn't wash Jesus' feet. What a sign of disrespect. There was nobody to serve Jesus. They don't know who he is. They don't, they don't honor him like we honor him. And then they saw the woman and they were like, man, she's great. Look at what she did. She was amazing. She went in there and she cried and she washed his feet and, and dried them with her hair. She's amazing. And I'm sure when that was all said and done that they walked out and they were like, man, that, that woman was amazing. Just applauding her. Look at what she did. She was so right. I would say to you today, in our church, that we do that. I think sometimes we tell stories from up here. People come up here and they tell stories and we, we put them on the video. You just saw a bunch of people getting baptized, telling a snippet of their story. And there's nothing wrong with that. And we'll keep telling stories. It's great to tell stories of what God is doing. But I just want to say, like, the idea that somebody comes up here and says, I did this great thing for God. And we all sit here as spectators and we clap our hands like, those days are done. We're done with those days. Those days are over. We're not supposed to applaud. We're supposed to emulate. The idea that a whole bunch of people just sit there and say, well, that was nice. That's Old Testament. That's the days of the kings and the prophets. And then there's an Old Testament prophet and he comes along and he actually prophesies. He said, there's coming a day where the spirit of God will fall on, anybody know? Everybody. He actually specifically mentions men and women, which was just scandalous thing to say. The Spirit of God would fall on a woman. He said, the day is going to come. And then Peter comes on the scene in the New Testament and he, he quotes that prophecy and he says, and I need you to know something, that day is here now. The day of just one or two coming up and saying, we did this great thing for God and we all stand there. Those days are done. We all are filled with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is upon our children, Yeah. The Spirit of God is upon our teenagers. The Spirit of God is on our marriages. The Spirit of God is in our workplaces. That your workplace might be just the, the crudiest place on the planet Earth and you hate going to work. You're bringing the Spirit of God in there. It might be great. The Spirit of God is in your college classroom. I love that God surrounds us with people at work who don't know Jesus and we get paid for that. It's like genius idea, God. I love that we get to go into college, into university, and we're surrounded by people who don't know Christ. Every one of you carrying the Spirit of God. Wherever you go, whatever day of the week, God is there, and it's going to multiply, 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 multiply. This is God's idea. It's called compound interest. Go and make disciples. Okay, silly question, but maybe an obvious question. What am I holding in my hand? Okay, it is a trick question. I'm glad you said that. I would have been worried about you if you didn't say that. But it's a trick question. Not an apple. What am I holding in my hand? Seed. Yes. A seed. Good job. Dare we say an orchard. 
right here. This is what God calls every ordinary follower of Christ to do. You just sow the seed. You just go into O'Reilly's and you just have that chat. And don't be weird and don't get up on a soapbox and stop wagging your finger at people and just serve them. And then it's a seed and it's an orchard. Here's the tension I think every one of us experience. Does the glory go to man or does the glory go to God? That's where the disciples were at, right? Power, position, look at me, look at what I'm doing. I'm the greatest. No, I'm better than you. Does the glory go to you or does the glory go to God? Now, we all know the right answer, right? Please tell me we know the right answer, right? The glory goes to God. But I think in reality, as we exist and as we live and breathe, we're thinking, man, I got to get the glory to go to me. I need to make sure that I'm respected and known and, and people see what I do. And there's a tension in all of those things. I think sometimes we, we struggle to, to know how to serve or even to love human beings because we're caught up in this place where we think, and I think the glory goes to me. And we would probably not even say that out loud, but it's actually how we're functioning and it's how we're thinking. When you glorify him, when you give him all the glory and all the praise, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, when all the glory goes to God, it actually liberates you to love people for the very first time. Some of your marriages are messed up because you're actually trying to get the glory to go to you. Some of your relationships with your friends in school are messed up because you're trying to get the glory to go to you. If you can settle that in your heart, it changes things. It's not about me. It's not about me being recognized or anything. I'm just here to let people know about Christ. For some of you in this room today, you've been incapable of bringing the kingdom of God to bear anywhere because it's still about the glory of man. But if we could settle that in our hearts today, I think your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it changes everything because now the glory actually goes to God. Look at Jesus. It is ridiculous what he does in this passage of Scripture. It's insane. He decides to get down on his knees and serve them and wash their feet. It's crazy. In Greek mythology, you got gods like um, Zeus and Hermes, and they have their stories about that these gods would depart from the heavens and they would come down to the earth, and they would disguise themselves. They would pretend, they would put on a different image to look like a peasant or a slave. And the reason why they would do this, their motivation behind it was because they wanted to be amongst the common nobody people to find out, do they truly honor and revere and respect the gods? That's why they they would do this. And some people, they think, they look at Jesus and they say, well, Jesus walked amongst us, incarnation. And they say, he probably served us in spite of the fact that he was God. And I need you to know that it wasn't in spite of the fact that he was God. He was actually revealing the character of God in that moment. Service is not a human thing. It's a divine thing. We see this in the Trinity. They are constantly loving and serving each other. It is not something that has been born in time. It is an eternal thing. It is not an ordinary thing. When you serve, you are releasing something into the supernatural because it's birthed by God. When you serve, it is rooted rooted by God. It is divine activity. And when that is released in the name of Jesus Christ, it begins to smash inferiority and pride and title and power, and it's all about me. It begins to undo low self-esteem, and it breaks ambition. And Jesus is the servant, and he tells us, I only serve my Father all the time. Now I want you to do what I'm doing. Jesus didn't serve in spite of who he was. It was because of who he was. Judas had already been tempted by Satan. And in this moment, there's demonic activity happening all around Jesus Christ. He's approaching the cross. He's about to be stripped and beaten and abused and nailed to a piece of wood. 
to hang there and die. Now, if that were me, I'd be thinking about me. If I were in that position, I'd be thinking, poor me. How am I going to manage? How am I going to cope? How am I going to have the strength? Sometimes, I think we all have these moments. I know I have these moments where you're just like, man, life's just hard. Sometimes it feels just dark. Sometimes I think there's spiritual attack that happens in our lives. Can I say to you, those are the exact seasons where the church of God, not this building, you and I, are actually called to release God's grace in those moments. Some of you are experiencing spiritual attack right now, or life is just plain difficult for you right now. And I need you to know this, that is temporary over your life. Here's one of the greatest lies the enemy will ever try to spin in your life. It's to simply say this, hey, you see how bad things are right now? That's always going to be the way it is for you. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. The scripture says, resist the devil and he will flee. One of the greatest lies. And it just keeps coming and coming and coming. And we think, I'm never getting out of this. And so we cave in and we never experience breakthrough. And we don't understand that it's just temporary. Let me say this to you. The warfare that surrounds your life is seasonal. The favor that is on you is eternal. The only thing that is permanent and eternal over your life is the favor of God. It's the smile of God all over you. It cannot be removed. This other thing, it is a season. And in the midst of that season, you will be tempted. Man, I'm just going to close up shop and I'm going to shut the doors and I'm going to come inside and I'm going to batten down the hatches because this is about me. It's about me coping. It's about me having my strength. It's about me getting through the day. And Jesus says, look, that might be true if you existed and functioned just for you. But when all seems lost and darkness seems to surround you, that is the time for you to open up the doors and to advance the kingdom of God and to bring glory to God. And that is to be demonstrated even in your own life. Some of you have shut up shop and it's time for you to make a change. The enemy thinks he's taking ground and Jesus says, no, not at all. It's just another moment for the glory of God. Another moment on a Monday and on a Tuesday afternoon, and on a Wednesday evening for the glory of God. In Meyer and O'Reilly's, and the grocery store, and in your university, and in your dorm, and in your house, and in your marriage, it's just another moment for the glory of God. Let's release the glory of God into this city. Let's have an army of people releasing the glory of God into this city. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. The Lord your God is with you. Here's the crazy thing about the story. Judas is there. <laughs> I can't get my head around that one. I mean, you could half expect that the Bible might say, and he washed 11 sets of feet. But maybe not Judas. No. I think Peter's there. You know what Peter's about to do? I don't know that guy. I don't know. I'm telling you right now, I don't know that guy. They took tail into the dark and they abandoned him. And he washes Judas's feet. Gone are the days, gone are the days of tolerating. We think the mission is for nice people. Gone are the days of tolerating that. The mission is for nasty people. It came to me. Look at us. Gone are the days of just saying, well, I'll be nice to nice people. I want to get to the point where I lay my head on the pillow and I say, God, today I told somebody about you. I didn't shout at them. I didn't stand on a street corner. I didn't get a soapbox. I didn't judge them from a distance. I just served them. I just did something so that they would know that God loves them. 
The glory of God is not for the worthy. It is for the unworthy. I don't care who you are or what you've done or how bad it's been. The glory of God is for you to carry no matter what you've done. Worship team, come on up. Some of you this week are going to go out and take this challenge by the teeth and you're going to go and serve somebody and they're going to go, that was crazy. And they're probably right. Others, you will make an offer to serve and you'll sow a seed. I think what I did at O'Reilly's is I just sowed a seed. And they'll thank you and you'll move on. But others of you, you will get down and you will wash somebody's feet and they will respond and they will look at you and they'll say, why are you doing that for me? And in that moment, the atmosphere changes. Everything they thought or they knew about the kingdom of God is now turned on its head and they begin to see the king and they begin to see his glory. They begin to see this offer of complete forgiveness. They see this wonderful God who died on a cross and now lives begin to change. I dare you, I dare you once a week that you simply share the gospel. And everybody said, I dare you to share the gospel. I dare you in the most normal way to be a powerhouse for God in the most normal places where you live. Once a week, that it will be a normal experience for you, that God would use you to reach out in the most gentle-hearted way and you would serve people. There are people in this city who have never looked at a Bible or read a Bible. There are people in this city who have never heard about grace. There are people in this city who would ne- have never come to a church like this. There are people in this city who believe that Jesus Christ is a myth. And I'm daring to believe that God would simply turn this city upside down for his glory. If you're a follower of Christ, this is what I believe to be true. That every one of you can give voice to this truth. I was blind, but now I see. Amen? Isn't this what God has done in our lives? I was lost, but now I'm found, and this is my God. Let's stand up together if we could. We're going to worship. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray a release of the glory of God into the city. I pray for Christ and us, the hope of glory, that this truth would find incredible expression in our workplaces and schools and homes and neighborhoods. Help us to, to never, never merely go to church, but to be the church and the expression of your great, great love. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.